Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. This is an independent, listener-supported podcast. To support the show, go to interestingtimespodcast.com. Probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, sporting events in my native town of Portland, Oregon, is the annual Civil War game between the University of Oregon Ducks and the Oregon State Beavers. It is huge. It is dominating. And everyone really cares about it, even if they try really hard not to care about it. I don't really watch college football anymore, now that I am not in college. But I went to U of O. I still self-identify as a duck. And if on that day I see somebody wearing beaver orange and black, I get a little twitch in the back of my neck. They are the enemy. If I see somebody wearing duck gold and green, hey, an ally. Maybe I should high-five them. This is stupid. It is tribal and irrational. But it's almost impossible to get away from. And, of course, because this thing is such a big deal, because everyone cares about it, even people who don't care about it, there is a local trophy for these two teams to play for. The trophy that the Beavers and Ducks battle over works perfectly for both teams, whether they be waterfowl or water mammal, and that is the Oregon Platypus Trophy. A platypus does indeed look like some kind of mashup, some kind of hybrid of a duck and a beaver. And Pacific Northwest football fans are not the only people to look at the platypus and see it as a mashup, a melding, a syncretism of different unrelated species. The platypus gets a few shout-outs, as you might expect, in Aboriginal Australian mythology. Now, a quick note here. I think a lot of Westerners look at Aboriginal Australians and just assume that it's some sort of unitary monolith with similar folklore, traditions, myths, legends, languages, etc. They're not. Aboriginal Australians is an umbrella term for a lot of different groups and peoples. Just wanted to make that clear and put that out there. But a lot of those different groups and peoples, in a lot of their stories and folklore, mention the platypus. Because, why wouldn't you? Have you seen that thing? And different groups of Aboriginals do characterize the platypus as, say, being made out of spare parts after all the mammals, fish, and birds were created. Or it is the result of forbidden love between a bird and a mammal. Or the platypus is like this intermediary, this neutral party, this sort of arbiter between the worlds of mammals, fish, and birds. So when you look at the platypus, a lot of people independently have thought, that looks like some bird mammal thing, and that is what the first Western scientist to examine a platypus also thought. He thought it was a kind of animal mashup. Now, he did not think that it was a result of a duck and a beaver going out, having a nice evening, maybe drinking too much wine, and, oh, later on, you get a platypus. No, he thought it was a hoax. He thought that this thing was a result of somebody literally stapling a duck to some kind of water mammal. In 1799, a platypus reached Britain from Australia. Now, this was not a live platypus. It is not like there was an age-of-sail tall ship and somebody had taken a platypus and made a platypus tank for it, and the platypus was allowed to, like, swim around and the crew would feed it platypus food, you know, on a voyage. Uh, no. This was a dead platypus. And it spent a trip in a barrel in preservation fluid, and by the time it finally got to Britain, it was not looking its most platypusy. 
It was kind of nasty looking. It was sort of desiccated. It was not in good shape. So it was a sort of funky, nasty, dead animal. Early descriptions of people who saw the specimen called it a small amphibious animal of the mole kind, and also a strange creature, half bird, half beast. A British naturalist named George Shaw was one of the first to examine the thing, and he thought that what he was looking at was a taxidermy hoax. His first instinct upon seeing this creature was to think, that is not real. He assumed that somebody had taken the bill of a duck and stapled it onto an otter body and was trying to pass it off as a weird new animal from this new Australia place that everybody was on about, or New Holland, as it was called back then. And he would have had good cause to believe that. At that time, in the late 1700s, uh, multiple groups of East Asian fishermen were known for taxiderming together fish and monkey parts. Um, there was speculation about why people did this. A lot of Westerners assumed that it was for religious reasons, but could very well have been also that you're a fisherman, you're on a boat, you get bored, and sometimes, why not? Staple a fish to a monkey. If you remember the episode about the Fiji mermaid, it was kind of like that. And George Shaw, naturalist and skeptic, assumed that this is exactly what was happening here, except with other different animal parts. As he dissected the specimen, though, he couldn't find any stitches or staples or telltale marks of this being an elaborate taxidermy job. It was apparently very, very real. A hoaxer had not made this duck-beaver-otter thing. Nature, evolution, had made this duck-beaver-otter thing. Here's what Shaw had to say about the platypus in a publication called A Naturalist Miscellany. He said, quote, of all the mammalia yet known, it seems the most extraordinary in its conformation, exhibiting the perfect resemblance of the beak of a duck engrafted on the head of a quadruped. So accurate is the similitude that, at first view, it naturally excites the idea of some deceptive preparation by artificial means. The very epidermis, proportion, features, manner of opening, and other particulars of the beak of a shoveler or other broad-billed species of duck presenting themselves to the view nor is it without the most minute and rigid examination that we can persuade ourselves of it being the real beak or snout of a quadruped. And he goes on, On a subject so extraordinary as the present, a degree of skepticism is not only pardonable, but laudable. I ought perhaps to acknowledge that I almost doubt the testimony of my own eyes with respect to the structure of this animal's beak. Yet, must confess that I can perceive no appearance of any deceptive preparation, and the edges of the rictus, the insertion, etc., when tried by test of maceration in water so as to render every part completely movable, seem perfectly natural, nor can the most accurate examination of expert anatomists discover any deception in this particular. Unquote. And it's not just the beak. Platypuses get weirder. Shaw didn't mention any of this in his original description, but they're also venomous, at least the males are. And they navigate using electrolocation. They can sense small electric currents. They have highly sensitive eyes. They have more cones than most mammals do, and they lay eggs. They're mammals, and they lay eggs. They're not placental mammals. That's so weird. They're bizarre. And they're real. 
most extraordinarily of all, the platypus is real. Here's what inspires me about George Shaw looking at a platypus. Shaw acted, I think, in a really intellectually responsible way. He was skeptical. But he didn't just brush the specimen aside. His skepticism did not cause him to look at something and say, ah, no, that's BS. No, he instead wanted to examine it, interrogate it. He thought it was probably novelty taxidermy, but he wanted to confirm his suspicions. So he got in there. He poked around. He looked for seams. He looked for stitches and glue and anything else that would give it away as a fake, and he didn't find it. Convinced that what he'd seen was real, he changed his opinion. He got new information, and then he changed his beliefs, which, I think, is one of the best virtues a person can have. That's not flip-flopping. That's not being unreliable or inconstant or disloyal. No. We oftentimes demonize it when people change their opinions. But really, a change of beliefs, that can be amazing. Changing your beliefs can show a kind of humility in the face of truth, a willingness to change yourself in the face of a world that throws a duck-mole-otter thing at you. That's not a weakness. That's a virtue. I try to live my life like I am examining the platypus. I like to look at things, examine them, and then, if my worldview does not conform with the facts, well, I change my worldview. Science is not a set of facts. It's a process. Skepticism, examination, is not just disbelieving things. It's a process. It's interrogation. It's examination. And you can apply that not just to platypuses, but to all manner of things. Scientists are well-known and well-lauded for using this process, but journalists and historians, we should be doing that too. We should be doing the exact same thing as them. And you know what's really rewarding about that? Sometimes, when you really look into the weird stuff, you get a platypus. There are hoaxes and fabrications out there, and I have a weird respect for and fascination with them, but sometimes the world really is as weird as it seems. Sometimes the weird duck-beaver monstrosity before you is not a hoax. Sometimes the platypus is real. Sometimes the world really is that weird. Which brings me to a big announcement. This podcast is rebranding. We are going to have a new title as of next week. Don't worry, this feed will update. There will be a podcast in this feed next Thursday. But there are going to be some changes. As of next week, interesting times will be the Weird History Podcast. Talk to you then. Bye. (laughs) 